Okay, and thanks again for people that are bringing the snacks. That really adds, I think, to the fellowship atmosphere here. So last week we started in Isaiah chapter 5, and that was actually a song. My, it's called the Song of My Vineyard. And um, if you understand the vineyard slash grape through the Old Testament into the New Testament, and in a moment we'll look at the book of Revelation, it really has a certain connectivity uh, to the whole theme of Scripture. Okay? So what was going on, just by way of review, what was going on with the, in chapter 5 with the vineyard? Just in general, if you were to summarize it. What was happening there? And, and, and uh, Isaiah using this, this metaphor, this illustration, um, why is that significant? First of all, what was the positive? Or was there a positive? What did God do? Of course, the vineyard is, is what? Or who? Who said? Israel. Israel. Because it even says that, you know, in, in chapter 5, it will say in verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. So there's no doubt there. So what did, what did God do to promote or to uh, encourage fruitfulness? What were some of the things he did? Huh? The soil was, was, was good soil to begin with. Okay, yes. He pruned it. What else, what else does it say there in, the, in those verses? Yeah, he put a wall, there's protection. Planted, there's a watchtower to protect it from animals or thieves coming in. In other words, he did all this to promote and expect a fruitful harvest, a vineyard. Okay? And what was the result? Bitter grapes, bad grapes. Okay? And then God says uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, um, verse 3. He says, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard? Okay, what more could I have that I have not done? You see, God's saying, what more could I do to resource you that, that I would expect a good, a good harvest? What would, what would it, in this illustration, what would have been a good harvest? What would have been a good harvest? Yeah, but take it to the next level. I mean, that's the metaphor, but I mean, what was he looking, I mean, what is God looking for from this vineyard? Huh? Multiply. Remember, Israel was supposed to be a city set on a hill that even Gentile nations would come to inquire of the Lord. What else? Obedience. Justice. Righteousness. Taking care of the poor. He, he goes through this in the the, 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 the the widow. You know, all of this and none of this was going on. Actually, the opposite. There was bitter bitter grapes coming forth. And then, therefore, what's God going to do? Yeah, he's going to destroy the vineyard. He's going to destroy it, he, in very graphic terms. When we went to Matthew 21, Jesus takes this vineyard and he fast-forwards almost 700 years to the, his time, and he says, there's the vineyard, God sends servants, and when the servants come, what are they looking for? First of all, when God sends servants into the vineyard, who's, who's his servants he's sending? Prophets, what are they looking for? Which, which would be what? Which would be what? Righteousness. They were looking, he was looking for a righteous people, a holy people. Uh, obedience is better than sacrifice people. That was, none of that was going on. 
so much to the point that the very Holy One of God, their Messiah, was standing in their midst. And when he's telling this parable in Matthew 21, they're conspiring to kill him. Okay? And he says, too, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And even the people knew what he, he's going to take the vineyard and give it to another people. Who's the other people? Gentiles. Gentiles. We, we went then to, to, to John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and my word abides in you, and you will bear fruit. Okay, he starts with no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit, if you follow that progression. God is looking for fruit. Now, we, we stopped there last week, but just like God said in the time of Isaiah, what more could I do for you to facilitate good fruit in our own lifetime as believers? What more could God do for us? Or better yet, what has he done for us to facilitate fruitfulness? That's a question. What has he done for us? Before, in ancient, at the time of Isaiah, he cleared the stones, he gave them good soil, he put a hedge of protection, he put up the watchtower, he had a wine press, he did, did all that. What has he given us in terms of resources to help us uh, be a fruitful people? Okay, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that, is, your, that is the key point. It's transformational. What else? He's given us the Holy Spirit. What else has he given? The Word, the Word of God. Okay? And if you study the Word, oftentimes Jesus uses a plant analogy. For the sower goes out sowing the seed. It lands on the hard soil. It lands on good soil. What is the seed? The Word of God. Okay? But then, then when it starts sprouting, it, it's progressive. 30, 60, 100 fold. Okay? What else does he give us? Yes, Ed. Just a little bit louder. Would I be off base if I said that in the Old Testament, God said, I've given you everything and you've turned away from me, so I'm going to take away your vineyard. Mm -hmm. Thus, the Assyrians mm -hmm. come down and take over. The Assyrians will come down and take over the northern kingdom. Right. And then the Babylonians, Babylonians, right, okay. Okay, and then the whole thing happens again. Again, the same thing happens in Matthew, where I've sent my Savior for you, chosen people, you refuse them, and again the same thing happens, it will be for the Gentiles. Exactly right. Yeah, in a sense, Jesus is almost like an Isaiah in terms of prophetic. He's saying, look, here's, here's what you were given, here's what you did with it, and then when he weeps over Jerusalem, I mean, it's, it's in the latter part of Matthew, but it says, he looks on Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not you, you do not the day of your visitation, therefore your house is left to you desolate. That's like Isaiah making these pronouncements. Here's opportunity, here's blessing, here's, here's a chance, here's another chance, here's, here. you didn't, you refuse, you refuse, you refuse. It's not gonna be 120 years, like in Isaiah, it's gonna be 120 years later before the Babylonians come down. It's gonna be like 34 years when Jesus ascends that the Romans come in in 70 AD and scorched earth. And just like Jesus says, not one stone on another. When you go to Jerusalem today, those that have been there, you know you see those stones huge in the pavement today. So you're right. It's very similar. But what's interesting about, well, I want to stay on this topic. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Am I speaking too loud? No. Okay. Uh, I never, uh, 
he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God, which is effectual. It doesn't return void. What else has he given us to promote or facilitate fruitfulness? Oh, the example of the life of Christ. Paul says, follow me as I have followed Christ. What else? What else? Us, believers. Do we ever view that as a resource? I mean, seriously. Huh? What do you think? He gave us each other. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself. You know, we lived in Asia for many years. You'd see Buddhist monks with a little satchel and this, and they go up in the mountains and they just pitch camp and they meditate and they're away from society and they try to reach enlightenment or nirvana. That's not Christianity. Christianity, all the metaphors for the Christ, Christian faith, whether it's a flock or a vine or the body, different parts, it all has this corporate element. You understand? As much as he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's given us the Word of God, he's given us each other. Any thought on this? This is like really important stuff. Anything? Because what do we do with each other? I mean, how, how do we promote growth with each other? Yeah. Good point. Good point. I don't know if you heard. We all are gifted in some way. Some may have the gift of administration. Some might have the gift of encouragement, hospitality, teaching, pastoral, uh, ministry. All these gifts, when they're working, you know, in unison, that's a powerful thing to the point where Jesus says in John chapter 17, they will know you're my disciples by your bumper sticker on the car. Huh? By your love one for another. When it's really operational, I don't care if it's a small church, big church, little community, Bible study group, when it's working, just like when you go into a home where there's real love in a home, you can feel it. And you go into a home where there's discord and, and tension, you can feel in the atmosphere. Am I right? So he's given us each other. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us the example of Christ. Anything else? Yes, please. One of the things, John, I think happens in these cases is uh, we, we either are hesitant to help because we don't feel we're good enough and worthy enough and holy enough to help because we're, we're flawed and sinners and all of that, so we don't think we can help. And then on the other hand, we don't want to ask for help because no one else is holy enough either. And uh, you know, we don't realize that as sinners, we can still help each other and uh, to that point. And I think that's something we've got to get over, both on the helping side and the asking for help side. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Michael. I think, yes, Ed. As iron sharpeneth iron, so the countenance of a friend maketh a man. Yeah, as iron sharpeneth iron. In a sense, when we have these classes, like, bottom line, the intent, at least from my point of view, or the Bible study, like a group like this, or the ones we do in smaller groups, is really 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Each one of us might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that knowledge is, is not informational so much as transformational. So be it that when we leave this class or whatever group we're a part of, that we're different four months from now or a year from now. Uh, again, it's, that's what we're after is transformation in each of our lives. Does that make sense, please? Also, Christ is the head of the church. Mm -hmm. He's the head. And if we have too many other people, I'm going to be the head of this, I'm going to be out. Unity. If we start with disunity in our church, 
Yeah, a good point. Jesus is the head. In our mission organization, particularly when we were overseas, we had 15 different nationalities in our mission team. We had about 40, 45 adults, missionaries and children. But with Singaporean, British, Irish, American, Australian, New Zealand, da, 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 da. Now, and from different denominations. Now, you would, that could lend itself to some eh, confusion, discord, eh, communication issues. But when we focused on that, yeah, there could be. But when we focused on Jesus and the work we were called to do there, we realized that which united us was much larger than that which divided us. Right. Does that make sense? I mean, the illustration we used to use on the field is like this. If you have a wheel with spokes coming off, okay, the closer those spokes get to the hub of the wheel, to the very center of the wheel, the, 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 their distance between each other is minimized. You see what I'm saying? The further they get away from the center, even though they're still connected, their distance is much greater. Do you understand this principle? So when we come, the closer we come to Christ and the work he's commissioned us as believers to do here, the more we should be unified. The further we get away from Christ and we get into our own denomination, our own ministry, my thing, this thing, the further, and we're going to notice uh, very blatantly differences we have. You do that, I don't do this. You know, I wear a white shirt to church with a bow tie. You don't, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Seriously, that divides. Somebody else said their hand. Yes. Okay. Now, so we have Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the community of believers. We have the example of Jesus Christ left us. Anything else? Yes, Marie. Okay, the, the, because of the Holy Spirit, the inward working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts should be reflected in outward manifestation of fruit. Am I right? Love, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, etc. That should be manifested. And again, that's very attractive in a world that doesn't have those kind of characteristics. The world desperately wants to see today, I believe, joy, true joy. They want to see peace. Uh, I think that's one why drug addiction is so off the charts today is because of lack of peace in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the heart, in the mind, in the relationships. You know, it's just, you know, peace, purpose, power. All of these things we have in Christ. Therefore, er, therefore we should be a fruitful people. Do you understand what I'm getting at? We, we are highly resourced people. Okay, I just want to show you the sweep of this whole vineyard grape. If you turn back to uh, Deuteronomy for a minute, uh, way back... Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32 um, sometimes this is called the song of Moses it's kind of like his he's kind of like giving final instructions to his people at this point in time and he goes through this whole thing um, um, it's very similar to the opening Isaiah where it says in verse 1 give ear O heavens and I will speak Oh, hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. That's very similar to how Isaiah opens. He says, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, the raindrops, uh, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Uh, so he's talking about uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, the first three verses. Deuteronomy 32, first three verses. But he also warns them. 
don't drift away from God. Don't leave the rock of your salvation. Listen to my words. Otherwise, look what he says in verse 32. If somebody could read that. Verse 32 and 33. You see that? The vineyard again, and again, it's not bringing forth good fruit. And, and this continues from way back in the beginning in the Torah. It sweeps all the way to the end of time. If you turn to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And he'll talk about this very thing um, when God comes down and he says uh, this, this harvest, uh, so to speak, if... Um, Somebody look at verse, uh, it's, it's, you could go from 15 through 16, but we'll just go to uh, verse 19 and 20, please. If somebody would read that. Revelation um, chapter 14, 19 and 20. And so the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth, threw it into great winepress of the wrath of God, and the wine press was trodden, was trodden outside the city in blood, flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, do you see that idea of vineyard and a judgment? You know, vineyard can be for good fruit and reward or bad fruit and judgment. We stay in Revelation and just look at Revelation uh, chapter 19. Um, and verse 15. And then we'll get back into Isaiah. I just wanted to show you the sweep of this whole vineyard grape kind of metaphor through the Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Okay, do you see that? This is the end of the age, whatever is, is going on, how you interpret the book of Revelation. But this idea, this whole thing of um, God warning his people, he doesn't want to do this. Uh, it says in the Old Testament, God says, I, as I live it, saith the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want that. Even when he, John the Baptist and these prophets come, they're all saying, repent and what? Flee the wrath to come. You know, Bible. John 3, he that hath the Son hath life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life, but what? Abides on that person. The wrath of God, the wrath of God abideth upon that person. Do you understand? This is rather consistent through the scripture. And it, they, many think that John, uh, the revelator, is getting this um, uh, imagery uh, for end time uh, from Isaiah. And we'll turn now to Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah chapter 63. Uh, Isaiah chapter 63. And maybe somebody could read verse 2 and 3. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 2 and 3. Why are your garments red like those of the ones red in the wine press? I have trodden the wine press alone, and from the nations no one looks with me. I trampled them in my anger, and I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered in my garments, and I stained all my clothing. Okay. 
What song do we get from that? What hymn do we get from that? The Battle Hymn of the Republic. When we get in the Isaiah, you're going to see things back there that relate even to our country today. For example, the three parts of our government, executive, legislative, and judicial. That's in, that's in one verse we're going to see in Isaiah. But here is where the hymnist, uh, uh, the writer, took the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and of course the Civil War was going on at this time, where it says, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That's right here in Isaiah 63. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loot the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. His truth is marching on. Uh, but then, then, then it, well, the verse I like is the, is the one that reaches out in mercy. It says, In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free while God is marching on. But do you, you understand how they, they're getting these ideas or these uh, principles scriptural from the book of Isaiah. Does that mean? Isaiah is the Rosetta Stone of the New Testament. I'm, I'm serious. There's so much in this. That's why we're not, we're not racing through it, in case you haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. But I would rather us do 10 chapters really well than to do 66 chapters, you know, Route 66. We're going to get out, you know, kind of a deal. Somebody had their hand up. Yes, dear. Who, who had their hand up? Uh, no, this, okay. So that's where they're gleaning some of these principles from Isaiah. So let's turn. Uh, any other thing on the vineyard of the, but I, I like the whole thing with the vineyard and the grape, the grape particularly when it comes to Jesus. Uh, what, what is the new covenant? What does he say? The, 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 you know, this is, last week we took Holy Community, right? The wine, this is my blood in the new covenant you know he shed for you you know the idea of the wine and don't forget he gives us the cup of blessing the new covenant but what did he pray three times in the garden of gethsemane if it be your will take this cup that was the cup of what was it a cup of blessing it was a cup of what wrath wrath you see he saw you know but he did that so we could get the cup of blessing you understand? And there he gives us that. But what did men give Jesus when he was dying, basically dying of thirst on the cross? Sour, bitter grapes, sour wine, vinegar. Uh-huh. You see? So study the great vineyard uh, from early books all the way through Revelation, but especially the application it has to your life and my life today. I am the vine, you are the branches, John 15. I, I see that as the one of these central verses for Christian growth, John 15. Okay, let's turn to John, uh, Isaiah chapter 5. We'll get into this a little bit. Um, so we got through that, and then it starts these woe. Uh, we just started on this uh, last week. I think there's six or seven woes, depending on how you count them. One, the first one in chapter 5, verse 8, was this idea they have houses, the houses, the big fields, almost like plantation-like. And remember, Israel... You could buy and sell houses and lands, but in the year of Jubilee, it would what? It would go back to the original owners because it was really big to keep uh, property especially, but the homes in the family. You understand? We don't do that today, so to speak. Farmers used to do that, you know, they, but we don't. But that, they, they were disregarding these kinds of things. They just kept growing, almost like a monopoly set, just growing, growing these homes. That uh, Verse 8. Uh, you know, you get bigger and bigger. And then he, then he says this in verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicants and continue until the night. 
the harp, the strings, the tambourine, the flute, the wine at their feast. But what is that suggesting? Uh, intoxicants and, and entertainment. Intoxicants and entertainment. And again, you don't want to force it too much into a modern day context, but just think of alcoholism, the rise in drug abuse, uh, fentanyl and uh, uh, opioids and all this. It's just, you know, I mean, when we lived in Thailand, what was really big there, the opium, which used to be big there, was replaced by methamphetamine. But it was really bad. But the idea of man's default to intoxicants. Notice it's wine. It's the misuse of wine. Do you understand this? It's the misuse of wine. Uh, wine is good. I mean, and the grapes are good. It talks about, you know, wine. Even Paul says, take a little wine to Timothy for your stomach's sake. But I'm not getting on that issue. It's just that it's the misuse of what God has given to us. Any thought on any of this? But you see, entertainment, uh, substance abuse, alcohol, whatever it might be, that's where this society is going. Were these a religious people? Were these a religious people when we read chapter 1? Yeah. Were they a righteous people? No. That's a problem, like twin tracks going down. They, they, they are very religious. You know, it says they keep the Sabbath, they do this, they do that, they da-da-da. But... They're like way out, their heart, as God would say, is far from me. Yes? Did somebody have their hand? Yes? Hey, John, the comment in here where woe to those that get up early, I, I want to make sure that that's not, it's what they're getting up to do. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was Ben Franklin. Well, what did Ben Franklin say? The early bird catches the worm? Yeah. But it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. <laughs> okay, so what we're seeing, what we're seeing really is the unraveling of a one-time godly society. Do you want, you know, it's breaking apart. Do you, you see that? Like before our eyes. The mighty men have been humbled. Youth, young people are now in leadership. You're, you like intoxicants. You like continual entertainment. Uh, you know, all of these things. And then he says, um, but this is very important, the last part of verse 12. <clears throat> but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor do they consider the operation of his hands. What don't they consider? What don't they reflect upon? There's something. They don't consider what? They, they don't, yeah, they, they're not reviewing why they're in the Holy Land. They don't know their forefathers, how he got them out of slavery of Egypt. They're not considering uh, the works of God, nature, the beauty, uh, you know, of God, uh, his, his handiwork. We're going to see what they're moving toward and what they're very proud of is the work of man's hands. They're really into what they made, not so much what God has made. Does that make sense? They're really, we're going to see this uh, continuing. They do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. Now, I want to kind of look at this uh, in application. If you turn to um, 2 Kings for a moment. Um, uh, let me see here. This is where what happens uh, is the Queen of Sheba comes. Well, let me grab this exact verse. 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 10.4. 1 Kings chapter 10. And by th this is really, when Solomon reigns, 
in Israel. That is the high watermark. That, you know, you had Saul, and he got messed up and all that. Then you had David, and he was a man of war, so he could not build the temple. But when Solomon comes to the throne, that is the high watermark. It would never reach that water, that level of peace and prosperity. And it's going to be short-lived, because what does Solomon end up doing? He makes a really flawed, bad mistake. Foreign wives who bring in their foreign gods and that influence. And it won't be long after that that the kingdom, southern and northern, are divided. Okay. Um, so what happens here, if you look at uh, in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, the, the people are coming from all around because they heard about Solomon. And one in particular is this Queen of Sheba, uh, coming perhaps from Ethiopia. And she comes... It says in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all that wisdom of Solomon in the house that he built, now look what she's looking at. She looks at the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, their apparel, the cupbearers, the entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. Who has a different translation? What is, he, what is it basically saying? She looks at all this stuff Solomon has, She's overwhelmed. She loses her breath. She's like breathless. She's just taken in by this, right? Yeah. This is all man-made stuff. Yeah. What Jesus is walking through a field with his apostles in Matthew chapter 7, he says, you see that little lily over there? What does he say about it? Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like that little flower. Why? Because we're impressed by the works of man's hands and we diminish the works of God. Am I right? I mean, that, it almost seems like natural for man to do it. And one of the things the psalmists and those do is constantly bringing us back to the works of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament show of his handiwork. See, this idea, uh, maybe it's part of urbanization. Maybe we move more and more into a man-made world and we're getting further and further away. I don't know. But it's this idea we... Wow, an iPad, an iPhone, a jet airplane, a microwave oven. You know, what, how impressive these are. You know, not bad. I mean, don't get me wrong, but not to, the, to discount what great works God has done. Any thought on this? Does this? Do you see this kind of this culture back then going in that direction? And you see how there could be application uh, without stretching it too much to our own. We'll see this in a minute a lot, I think. Okay, so we go back to Isaiah chapter 5. Um, now, so then he says, there, verse 13, uh, therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. This is critical. Um, is they, they don't understand. They, they, they've forsaken the law of God. It, it, it says, um, it'll say this in the scripture. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten what? The law of your God. That just means the word of God. Uh, I will also forget your children. Do you understand? He's saying, if you leave the word of God and you are operating just on your own, what you think is good to do, eat, drink, and be merry, or uh, if it feels good, do it. You know, none of these kind of philosophies. And leave God's word out. God says, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen in the life of an individual. It will happen in the life of a society. Okay? He repeats this time and again. I just jotted a few down. 
Behold, the days come, and saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Because people don't want it. You see? I mean, look at America past 50 years, post-World War II. We don't want, you know, the Ten Commandments here. I'm not going to get into a political deal. We don't want the Ten Commandments here. They may not want it on the coin anymore in, gold, in God we trust. You know, this is one of the greatest things about living in Ohio, living overseas. I'd always tell my friends, you know, Ohio is the only state flag that has a scripture on it. What's that scripture? You better know it if you're a Buckeye. <laughs> what does it say? With God, all things are possible. You know, they try to take that off. They took it to court. They couldn't get it off. But what I'm getting at is, is move God's word off of schools out of the marketplace and when you think of harvard princeton yale brown why were these schools started they were started by the early colonists to teach men uh for the for the clergy for the office of pastor and, and teachers look at look at their model on their things some of them are getting rid of uh, that you shall know the truth veritas set libra you shall know the truth the truth shall set you free you know uh you are the light of the world you know these you know, the it's, Bible was the first book they had in school. Yeah, you know, McDuffie Reader. Started. A, Adam was a sin. You know, B. That, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, what I'm getting at is we should we should be people of understanding. It says in Chronicles, the son of Issachar were men of wisdom. Why? <laughs> Who has it? For they understood the times, okay, and they knew what to do about it. It's in Chronicles, the sons of Israel. We have to understand the times that we live in. Yeah. We have to, because we're raising children, and we're raising grandchildren. We, each one of us have a certain effect in society. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we must understand trend lines, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit before we close today, uh, when we talk about uh, post, moving into a post-Christian society. Uh, like Isaiah's people were moving into a post Jehovah, if you will, society, okay? Any, do you, but you kind of get this thought. It says here, they, they forget about this. Um, they, have no lack of, they have lack of knowledge. It says in verse uh, 14, um, therefore Sheol has enlarged itself. This is hell. This is the Old Testament name for hell or Hades. Uh, and open its mouth beyond measure. Their glory, the multitude of their pomp, and, they, they, and he who was jubilant, will descend into it. What, what, what is the, the capital sin here? Their glory, the multitude of their pomp, da, 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 da. pride. You see that? Pride. Pride is the issue. Pride is the issue. Man is exalting himself and he diminishes God. Even to this day, man in general have a tendency to exalt man's, right, man's own righteousness and diminish God's holiness. That's why people say, you say, do you think you're going to heaven? They go, yeah. I'm not as bad as that guy, and I, I didn't kill anybody, and I did, you know, on and on and on. Well, what's your measuring stick? That's right. You see what I'm saying? So man tends to exalt his own righteousness, you know, and diminish God's holiness, where the Bible gives us a true picture of God's holiness and, and the woefulness of our sinfulness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, all these kind of things. But God is willing, you know, to reestablish a relationship, a holy God with a sinful man. That's, that's the story of the Bible, you know. Who wrote the book? Was it Rabbi Kushner years ago? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you know what the Bible text could be, the subtitle? 
Why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> That's grace. Why do good things happen to bad people? That's God's, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So that is kind of this working theme that's coming through Isaiah. And then it says, verse 15, people shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled. See, God has to humble. And the eyes of the lofty shall be, all of these things speak of pride. These are very proudful people. The Lord of hosts shall be exalted. The God who is holy shall be hallowed. And then it goes on. And then what does this mean? Maybe somebody has a different translation in verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sins as if with a cart rope. Does anybody have a different translation? Pardon me? Falsehood. Falsehood. Deceit. They're pulling this, 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 all of their, their sin, they're pulling it along. And then what do they say? Let him, that is to say God, make speed and hasten his work that we might see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we might know it. What are they saying here? There's kind of a subtle thing going on here. They're, they're really preoccupied with their sins, and you hear Isaiah's preaching this message, and what are they saying in reply? Yeah, show us. It says, it's like in Peter. Where's the sign of his coming? Everything continues as it has. Do you really think there was a flood? Did God really send him? You know, it's this idea of oh, almost uh, a testing God or tempting God. You know, yeah, come on, show us. If you're going to do something, do it. Otherwise, we're going to continue on with our wicked ways. Just what they're doing. But here again, we see this reference to the Holy One of Israel. Now, that's mentioned over 26 times in the book of Isaiah. That's a very important title of God. And it's really going to be, when we come into the New Testament, what it's applied to Jesus. And that's why in Mark chapter 1, when the demons see Jesus casting demons out, you know, they cry out what? What do we have to do with you, the Holy One of Israel? This very title. Okay? So keep that in the back of your mind. We'll expand on this as we get further into Isaiah. Any thoughts on that? I'm just kind of previewing some of this stuff. Okay. Okay, who would like to explain 18? Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart, a cart rope. Who has a different reading or translation on that? Okay, so what are they pulling along? Their sin. Their wages of sin is death, but they're, they're encumbered by it. They're, they're, and they don't care about it. Okay. And so when Isaiah preaches repentance, they go, hey, if you're talking about the Holy One of Israel, let him come. Let him, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. It kind of has that flavor uh, where they, it's what they call in the scripture, in the old, they did this in the face of God. They did this before God. They don't care. You know, this, this idea. Who cares? Kind of a deal. Um, now, this is, this is a very important one. Verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And if we could, I could diagram it, but I won't. But you see how he has this contrast. He goes, what does this say about the moral code of this culture. What are they doing now? Inverting it. They're flipped. You see, they're flipped. It's like their compass, instead of pointing true north, is pointing south. So that which is good, they're in effect saying it's bad. And that which is bad or evil, they're celebrating. Sound familiar? 
See, their moral compass has flipped. This is, this is a really bad uh, time when a culture gets like this, because all kinds of strange, what we would call sociopathic or strange kind of uh, behavior is actually now being encoded perhaps even into law. You see? Because everything is reversed. Well, well who's, if the standard isn't God's standard, where does man get his standard from? Or his moral compass? Each other. Each other. Consensus. How many in this hand think it's... How many in this hand think it's wrong to kill all left-handed people? All right, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously. I mean, that, that, that sounds out crazy, you know. Or postpartum. I mean, you know, we can't believe what happened in abortion since 1972, Roe versus Wade. But if one day, what if some European country has a two to three month postpartum uh, decision given? To, those things are like on the books. Yeah. How about a cloning human uh, with animal gene? You know, I mean, we are moving in, to say the least, a brave, brand new world where the compass is flipping. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, just like at the time of Isaiah. All right, keep a part here, but turn to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. That's like our Constitution is being reversed. I mean, it's just amazing the things that are going on, and you're seeing what's happening in the country. And just man is becoming the ruler instead of God is just... Yeah, because man thinks he can do it. Uh, you know, again, pride. Uh, here's the problem. Fallen man trying to figure out a fallen world will always come up with what kind of answers? Fallen, fallen answers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, like I say, I don't have high theology here, folks, in case you haven't discovered. I'm just saying A plus B equals C. That's where we're, we move. The more we move. Now, there's been times, let's take America, there's been times of great awakening. There was one significant one in the 1700s, another pre-Civil War, there was a great awakening where the whole culture, it's just not a revival, it's a, the whole like culture shifts. You know, there's a, there's a real sense of repentance and the holiness of God and people are paying back debts and they're helping the orphan. You know, that has happened. You know, that has happened. Uh, but again, you, when that happens, what they're really doing is like reestablishing true north back on God's word and God's principles. Could well happen. Um, but look at Romans chapter 1. And uh, verse 20, and we'll see how this works itself out. Um, maybe somebody could read verse 19 and 20 for a moment, please. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Okay. Now, remember it said in Isaiah, they don't consider the works of God or the works of his hands, creation, one of the things creation. What is this in your own words saying? Just how would you explain this to somebody? If somebody said to you, look, I, I can't figure this out, maybe an unbeliever, can you explain what this is saying here? Or maybe you give it to them and say, read this. What is it essentially saying there? The universe is an orderly place. Okay. Go on. Constant and unchanging are there laws of nature that are true over and over throughout time and history. Therefore, verse isn't twenty. It, isn't it likely that there is a creator God and that our spiritual life should also be orderly? 
And if somebody, according to this verse, says, well, I don't believe there's a creator behind creation, what does this verse say to them? What did you say? Okay. How many have ever heard of Bertrand Russell? Famous British mathematician, philosopher. I think he wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian. They asked him near his death. They said, what if you wake up after you die and you're in the presence of God? What will you say to him? You know what his response was? What? He says, he says I didn't, you didn't give me enough proof. You know what this verse says here? He's without it. Every day was proof to him. Every single day, God was giving him an object lesson. That's inexcusable, according to this verse. You see, nobody has an excuse to say they didn't believe in God. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to understand the Redeemer and what's brought forth as we understand God and man's separation and what the work of Jesus Christ. But it is saying here, people in the light of what we call natural revelation, even it's in the Constitution, nature's God, right? Nature's law, nature's God. Uh, we see that all men are cr created, so you got this idea of a creator. Uh, but yes, please. Yeah, what you were talking about earlier with the, uh, this happening mm -hmm. at certain times, in your mind, do you think that it's ever going to happen again? Well, but, uh, you, you know, know, we don't know. We're so inundated with more, you know, way more so now than back in those days. With Let me ask you this question. If you had a reluctant prophet that was going to one of the most cruelest empires ever, bad, idolatrous, wicked, cruel, and he was going to go preach a message of repentance, and they were so bad that this prophet of God didn't want to go because he basically said in his mind, no way they would repent. And the name of that place was Assyria. The name of that prophet was Jonah. And he went, and what happened? He repented. Sackcloth and ashes and even the animals. What do, I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, you know, and he's given us the message or the ministry of reconciliation. So I, I move in that direction, but I'm a realist too, realizing look what is going on around us. But I think even us gathering in church, wanting to be equipped with the word of God, having prayer meetings here, being involved in missions. You know, Fred, you're part of building these churches at Southeast this is all forward moving. You know, I always say, you know, people say, well, why doesn't God do something? You ever hear that expression? Yes. Well, God has done something. God is doing something. And God will ultimately do something. You understand? He is doing something. Do you think that, you know, a lot of the people come up with the end, end of time things, you know, these are the ends of the time. This kind of, they, it's like these people take what you said there and uh, say that this could never happen again in, in, in our Why? Society. Why? Well, not what I'm saying. They're saying, you know, this is the sign that the end of times. Well, that's what they say. My deal is this. God's mercies are what? New every morning. We are to work while it is yet day for night cometh when no one can work. I don't know. Do we have three months left? Do we have 30 years left? Do we have 300 years? I don't know. I'm more concerned with John Murtha's last day and that I'm in right standing with God than this whole cosmos and world and everything else. You see? See, I don't know. All I know is we're to work. We're to make disciples of all nations. 
And it's just like in Acts chapter 1. I'm kind of diverging here a little bit. But I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so you'll be spared. Uh, but, but if you look at Acts chapter 1, Jesus' redemptive plan is over. He's risen. He's been with them for 40 days. He get, and they say, what do they say? What do the apostles say when they're gathered around Jesus on Mount Olivet? Are you at this time going to restore? On, that, that was end time stuff. They're saying, are you going to establish your kingdom now? We got it. We got it. We got it. After Jesus has told him, go make disciples of all nations and all this. And he says, and, the, and, and, and he says, no, go back to Jerusalem. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses, my disciple makers in, Jer in Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I'm with you. You know, that's, that's, that's the battle plan. That, that's when somebody, those who, you know, you say, what was his last words? You know, the dying words of the last, are very important. Well, he wasn't dying, but he was ascending back to his father. That's what he left us with. I think, I think we as the church, and this is me, I think we can be so caught up on the end times and the last days, we miss out on the work that God has called us to do today. I'm just saying and we can get in big trouble because if we of the church publish books and have seminars and we're always quote unquote crying wolf, 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 and we're not, and it doesn't happen, they go, well, you guys this, you said that, and we lose credibility when we're given the truth of the gospel message. Does, does that make sense? Yes. This is all we got, you see? Again, who knows? Do we have three days? Do we have 30 days? Do we have 300? I don't know. It's in God's hands, but I think we have to work while it's yet day. And I tend to be an optimist. I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, uh. People ignore, uh, ignore the fact that God spoke all of the laws of math, physics, chemistry, biology, before he ever created a single material thing. Mm -hmm. He created that, and people that just discover those uh, uh, scientific principles just discover it. They didn't invent it. Yeah, right. And that's why, really, the founding fathers of modern-day science, Isaac Newton and Copernicus and all these, they were, they were Bible kind of guys. I mean, they believed in a God of order and a creator, and they, would, they said, we're following after God's thoughts, after God's, and we're seeing all these laws. But the same guy that, God that gives physical laws to the universe gives moral laws to his human followers. And if you break them, it's like breaking the law of gravity. If I go on a bridge... And I don't think the law of gravity is holding up, you know, and I jump. It doesn't matter what I believe, you see. So, too, moral, moral laws are similar. We can break them or keep them. So, now look what happens when these people turn from God. And we'll start wrapping it up here. Um, verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not... Did Israel at the time of Isaiah know God? Yeah, they had a rich heritage. They knew, But they were abandoning all that. They were getting rid of all that. It says... Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. This is one of the big signs, if you look in 2 Timothy and other places, where it talks about end of age or the corruption of society, is this lack of thankfulness. It's that people aren't thankful. Matter of fact, they're the reverse. You owe me that. You've got, you've got to give me that. That's my, you know. But not this sense of thankfulness. I mean, just to be assembled here like this in freedom, to have a church like this, and Bibles in our own language, and hot coffee and somebody brought refreshment. Don't get me started. But I'm just saying, we should be a thankful people. We really should. Um, they, and notice this. And they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts. Notice the mind, their thoughts, and their hearts were what? Darkened. Professing to be wise. Sound familiar? Same thing was going on at the time of Isaiah. They thought they were smart. They were, they were, and then it says, 
then they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like incorruptible man, birds, four-footed animals. Now look, what God, they did this to God. What was God doing? Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God. So they took the Bible, the Word of God, they put it over there, but man, nature, abhors a vacuum. They're going to fill that with something. What do they fill it with? Lies. Lies. If you, if you get rid of the truth, what's going to fill that spiritual vacuum? Lies. Okay? Self-deception. Therefore, it says, then he goes down this entire consequential catalog of behavior that's, that's counter to God. He says, um, verse uh, they, number one, they exchanged the truth of God for, for a, a lie. Verse 25. They worship and serve the creature. This is where we get the thing about humanism. You know, man is the creator of all things. Then the creator who is blessed. And then now look at the behavior. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Women exchanged the natural use for against nature. Likewise, men having natural use for women, burned in their lust one to another. Then it goes down. And even they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to the base mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, deceit. He keeps going down this list because man, when he leaves God's word and how to obey God's word and, and order our lives according to God's word, we're going to go in this direction. And what a person believes determines how they behave. You understand? What a person believes will determine what they behave. And if they believe there's no God, we're in this to be eat, drink, and be merry, or if it feels good, do it, whatever, whatever. We're just higher primates. You know, we only have a set time here to really maximize our enjoyment. They're going that direction. Do you understand? And he goes right down the list. And at the end of it, he says, uh, the wrath will come. You know, basically. He says, uh, verse 20, backbiters, haters of God, uh, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteousness judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also what? Approve of those who practice them. So we are, they affirm evil doings. They celebrate evil behavior. You understand? It was going on in the time of Isaiah. Paul says it here. And we have to see, does that have application in our world today? So, for Michael Shenango will be here next week, like I said, doing the manuscript evidence of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And then, but for homework for Isaiah, if you would read Isaiah chapter 6. That's, the, that's where he gets his, uh, this famous vision. Uh, he's in the presence of God and he says, woe unto me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. And, but be sensitive to who else in the Bible had a vision of heaven. That's, it's not a lot of homework, it's just a lot. And the people going to Israel are just go, oh, oh. <laughs> Yes, Fred. Oh, I was going to say Paul and John had a vision. Well, yeah, but there's more. Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. But don't forget what Paul saw was not lawful to speak. He says yeah. that in prison. Yeah, please. You know, John, I, this, this whole uh, talk today, we're, you know, think about what happened uh, down in Florida. Uh -huh. And you have people searching for answers. How do we? You know, how, how can we stop this? Yeah. You know, sure. Uh, and 
and on and on. You know, they're 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 like they're you know we just can't stop right in today's world. Well, you know, it's just I mean, if they don't, you know, the answer is right there. Well, we'll get into that. And, you know, I mean, that's present day stuff, but. Um, and I definitely don't want to go on a tangent in just two minutes. But one thing they let out, they don't factor in because they are looking for motive and reason on all these shootings or all kinds of bizarre behavior. One of the things they leave out is the demonic. Uh, I was reading some different reports. I'm not a real big news hound, but I was reading. And in one of his uh, interviews with the uh, police or something, he talked about hearing demonic verse, uh, voices. Well, if you study Son of Sam, Charles Manson, uh, Jim Jones, uh, David Koresh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's this influence of demonic, and if you want to go on a national scale, and I definitely won't, maybe we'll do it in the book by saying, if you study people like Adolf Hitler, Karl Marx, all these others, they all had occultic influences in their life and philosophy. And don't forget, what a person believes, that's how he will behave. It's a big topic, but we'll get into it. Somehow we'll fit it into the book of Isaiah. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> Somehow. Anyone else? Uh, you know. I mean, I'm not saying he can say, oh, the like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. But those influences are out there. But it's somebody that doesn't regard the Bible or the revelation of the Old and New Testament about the demonic will dismiss it out of hand. Yeah, people say, you know, well, pray for the families that know what prayer doesn't bring those kids back. Right. No, but, but prayer is effectual. I mean, I, I know, I'm just saying. That, that's, on that note, who would like to close us in prayer? <laughs>